The Motorcycle Show is brought to you by DiscountRamps.com. DiscountRamps.com offers a huge selection of power sports products for your ATV, UTV, motorcycle, and more. Everything you need to load, haul, or transport your power sports toys. Listeners can save 15% with code WHEEL at checkout. This is The Motorcycle Show, episode 10, double digits for September 25th, 2021. I'm Crash. And I'm super old. (laughs) Hi, super old. Uh, And we've got joining us my friend Don, the reason I know anything that's going on in the L.A. motorcycle area. How are you, Don? I'm doing great. Good. So um, uh, good to meet you. <clears throat> good to meet you, too, Steve. So, Steve, you, you're you're old because why? Well, I'm at my 40th high school reunion this weekend. Nice. And uh, I didn't even know they did yeah. them that long, to be honest with you. Oh, yeah. My mom went to like a 50th. Oh, wow. There was like three people there, but she went to a 50th. Huh. I haven't gone yeah. to any of mine. I tell you, it was funny because we got, we checked, it's at a beach resort in Fort Lauderdale. And we checked in yesterday afternoon and I didn't realize it, but there's like another event going on there. Some like art dealers event and the people are like super old. So I'm checking in. I'm thinking these are the people I went to school with. I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> like I look great. <laughs> Yeah, like, oh my god i told marcia i go these people did not age well <laughs> and then the lady goes no that that's not your event i'm like okay thank god <laughs> uh don have you gone to any of your high school reunions i i, I have I, I actually went to like a, a a brief kind of informal one a week ago or two and and similar experience to steve i said who are all these old people <laughs> all right yeah i haven't been that to was- one um and I don't think I don't think I'm so I graduated in 2004 and I'm going to be in Japan when during the next one, like 2024 would be my 20 year and I'll be in I'll be stationed in Japan. So I don't think I'm going to make it to that one either. It's funny because I had a guy come up to me last night who listens to the show. Oh, and, nice. uh, he was like, hey, I'd really like to talk about uh, he bought a live wire. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, we'll definitely talk about it. So tonight him and I are going to sit down. This is a guy that I was pretty good friends with in high school. And I know he's moved around the country. He's living in uh, he's living in Texas now. And okay. he's been doing a lot of riding. And he absolutely loves the live wire. Like he is madly in love with the thing. And he said it's full of, pa- full of power. Like he, he hadn't put it in sport mode yet. All right. So cool. maybe we can talk to him at a later date about his experience with that. Yeah, we've he's got a couple, the, of, uh, a couple of pending guest situations there's a guy that reached out recently who's a he's actually a voiceover actor and lives in japan um so expect a guy with just like an awesome voice on the show at some point um and oh, that's then, gonna be cool yeah and and he's he does you know rides motorcycles and stuff like that obviously but uh yeah I, i've been messaging messaging back and forth with him but enough about future shows um let's see where should we start i think we were just before the show we were talking about how we're both want well you're wanting to sell your ktm and i am in the process of currently selling mine uh yeah you mentioned something to me i'd never heard of yeah so there's this company called rumble on um it's just like a website they're kind of like carmax for mm-hmm. uh motorcycles and you know there you can you can sell like you can list a bike on there for somebody somebody to buy or you can sell your bike directly to them and obviously you're gonna make less doing that because they're gonna try to resell it but uh just Every time I am, every time I try to sell something online, I'm reminded that I have to deal with the human beings that may or may not want to buy the thing, and they're going to ask me a million stupid questions and make me hate them before they come and show up and then don't buy my motorcycle. <laughs> so, right, right. I really didn't. I decided I would just take the loss because um, I've reached the conclusion that I'm going to. I was going to sell the KTM and take the Yamaha to Japan. Okay. And so I literally, I just got back from whoa, my. Whoa. Uh, 
was the thought process for that? Okay, like, so yeah, the the KTM requires uh, like eight hundred dollars or so worth of testing stuff to be done when it gets to Japan in order to be able to be registered there, and then mm-hmm. is like four times as much motorcycle as I really need in Japan because I'm probably not going to be taking a lot of long trips on it, and traffic speeds are generally generally lower there, like their freeway speeds are lower, and I'm going to be doing just mostly like around town riding anyway to and from work maybe stuff like that and i don't need 1300 cc's of motorcycle to do that and the yamaha is small enough that it doesn't require any of that testing so i can just show up register it i was going to ask you that's based on cc's displacement 250 cc's and up requires emissions testing and braking testing which Mm. the ktm would pass there's not not like i'm not worried about that i just it's just expensive to get done and it's like one less thing i don't have to do when I'm not like, I don't have a huge sentimental connection to the KTM. It's just a motorcycle, you know? Right. Um, and so, yeah, that was kind of, that, that was sort of the reason, the reasons why I decided to stick with a little TW. And apparently there's a pretty big scene for customizing them and like just owning them out there too. So even if I decide I want to sell it out there, I shouldn't take like a huge hit because they apparently hold their value in Japan just like they do in the States. This oh, cool. is going to end okay. up with a, with a Bozo Zuku, you know, 200. <laughs> I've been thinking about that. Like, <laughs> I kind of want to. Um, but this, a what? Uh, Bozo Zuku? Um, it's a, it's a, like, Japanese, like, customization, like, aesthetic, like, a, like, kind of a, a style where the front, like, imagine taking the headlight and pushing it way out front and way up high, like, okay. like as if the headlight were on ape hangers that were pointed forwards. <laughs> So yeah, we're, like, it's like the scooters of the cafe day, days, like the mods and the rockers, like the mod um, scooters that had the big highlight and all those extra lights and crap. It gets way weirder. Um, I'll try to put, um, I'll, yeah, it, it, B-O-S-O-Z-O-K-U, I think. If you look it up, it. We'll, we'll try to put some like a link or something in the show notes as well. But like the the styles of bikes are just friggin' insane. Like the fairings are pointed almost straight up at the sky. And then the tail sections are equally out and up. Um, they do the same thing with like vans. And the irony is that however crazy looking and comical the bikes look, the guys who ride them are really serious. Mm-hmm. It's like the Yakuza light. Um, like a lot of the people, a lot of the guys that ride in those like groups are actually like sort of like at the entry level of Japanese organized crime. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and so some of those guys are like, you know, like legit, like hard asses, <laughs> and they're riding and the, this, like, this is, insane this is thing. The group you've decided to hang out with? No, I mean, I don't know. Maybe why not? <laughs> right. Um, All right, I'm in. I'd love to go see. I'd love to go to an event where there are a bunch of them there. That would be super fun. Um, are you getting a lot of background noise from me? Just want to check no, and make sure. No, it's all right. Okay, I mean that was loud, but it's like, <laughs> um, but yeah. So I'm guys, so I'm selling the bike to Rumble on. Um, they're giving me sixty one hundred bucks, which is a little bit less than the bike would be worth if I sold it outright. Um, and it's a little bit less than I'm gonna, than I actually still owe on the bike. But um, they're just gonna they're gonna pay off the the loan completely and then just send me an invoice for the remainder. I'm like, oh, that works, cool. I don't have to like. Well, I guess one way to look at it is, you know, would you like to have sold the bike for around sixty nine hundred because you're saving the eight hundred bucks in testing? So, right, yeah. Um, so so they're and then the whole process works where like they just uh they send you some paperwork, you fill it out, um, they FedEx you a power of attorney. Apparently, that's supposed to be here today. Um, 
<laughs> Don changes hats in the middle of the, in the middle of the thing. Um, but yeah, so you, they send you a, um, they send you a, uh, a, you know, so a bunch of paperwork. You sign it, and then they set you up and send a guy to come uh, buy the motorcycle, or not buy, sorry, uh, to ship the motorcycle, like a, a shipping company. They'll contract out. Um, and I'm actually going to be traveling for work during that time. So a friend of mine is going to keep it in her garage because she lives pretty close to me. And then the shippers will just come pick it up from her and I won't have a KTM anymore. But yeah, by the way, Steve, I muted you for a second. Um, and I, you'll have to mute, unmute yourself whenever. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's the, the situation with selling the bike. Don, you did some pretty cool stuff. Uh, I was out riding my motorcycle up and down the coast, which we'll get to. But you went to the OG motorcycle show and some yeah, other stuff. Well, well, you were on the <clears throat> the last hurrah, the KTM. I was uh, <clears throat> I was at the Outliers Guild show in Los Angeles, <clears throat> and um, yeah, um, it was it was an interesting event. I think it was the the first indoor motorcycle show in Los Angeles following the pandemic. Yeah, I, I went to the OG show last year. I remember, or maybe it was two twenty nineteen. Yeah, the last time yeah. they did a show is yeah, yeah. Um, because, you know, we were about to start our inaugural show last year. We were actually about two weeks away from our show. Mm -hmm. um, and we got, you know, our facility got shut down. Right. Um, as did, you know, everybody else for <clears throat> now, you know, through two years. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been a wild ride. Well, a year and a half. Or so. Yeah. So um, the OG show when I was there had like artist exhibits and motorcycles. And so it was the same kind of was it the same kind of situation? It, it was the same model. I would say that it was scaled back in okay. um, in scope a little bit, um, you know, in terms of number of builders, mm -hmm. um, number of artists, number of attendees. Um, everything was, you know, it was OG light. Yeah. Essentially. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think it, it was harder for, you know, people to maybe justify getting their bikes out from, say, the East Coast yeah. or from further regions, not knowing, you know, how many eyeballs they were going to get on it. Yeah, that's um, true. I, I forgot about yeah. that. There was that whole yeah. there's like a warehouse room with like just a ton of bikes uh, two years ago. Yeah, there's um, I think there's about 21 platformed bikes, mm -hmm. featured bikes. But um, when you actually broke it down, some of those bikes were, you know, some builders brought like three bikes. So they yeah. were kind of filling the platforms because they didn't have as many builders. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in terms of the number of bikes on platforms, it was about the same. It was just that um, some of those bikes were like, you know, you'd have a highly custom bike and then you'd have a not so highly custom bike, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, you had somebody like, you know, Mike Woolaway brought his brand new um, Parabon um uh, which is like a Ducati kits um, track bike, which is if you can improve upon an 1198R, he did. It's like a bespoke frame and beautiful aluminum tank. Nice, he had that nice. bike, and then he had two of his uh, King of the Baggers bikes that he brought. Oh, okay, so, yeah, for the, the King of the Baggers is the uh, like Baggers Racing series, right? Right. So you know, you had you had um, you know you know builders bring like you know a spare bike or two. Max Hazen, you know, brought his. Um, what, what's the, I was going to ask Don, what's the current trend right now in custom bikes? Is it, I mean, if you had a, the style, what did you see the most of there? Uh, you know, it's, I think it's still pretty open. I mean, last big show that we went to is the one show and that was, you know, there's always a custom shows. There's always a big V twin component, but then there's, you know, people building customs off of modern bikes too. Um, you know, you have Christian Sosa that made a hardtail 
Royal Enfield, and all he kept was the motor and built a complete bespoke frame around it. Um, you have Max Hazen, who's building, you know, he just finished a brand new Vincent, um, and it was just essentially the motor, and he built everything around it, including wheel hubs, his own carburetors, his own fuel diaphragms. It's just, it's wacky, even his own triple trees and wheels and, and brakes. Guy's a mad genius. <laughs> but that bike wasn't at the show. He's just a He's still kind of, he just kind of completed all the fabrication is doing a shakedown of it. You, uh, you actually went to his shop after like, like at some point while I was gone, right? We did. We went to last Friday and, little, and got to spend a couple hours. Yeah. Yeah. We, we had a couple of cool little adventures because of, uh, you know, when the show comes in town, it gives us an excuse and I don't know why I haven't been to Max's shop before, but it is, it's incredible. Um, it is one of the smaller shops I've ever seen. And the fact that he can do in a small space, what guys have, you know, tons of square footage, um, but he has everything that he needs and it's completely squared away. Nice. And so that was where you saw his bike where he's like making the carburetors and the brakes and everything. That's right. Yeah. I think, I think I sent you a couple of photos of it. I mean, he just, when, when you're making your own wheels and your own brakes and your own carburetors, um, you're modifying the engine drastically. It's just like, that's just another level of customization. That is the highest level of customization. I think there's guys like him and Craig Rodsmith and, um, um, you know, and Matt and uh, Christian Souza that are just doing things on such a high level that others are not. Yeah. Um, um, and then another guy was like Anthony know. Robinson, who did like a, a beautiful old custom triumph. Um, but basically, every, it was just the motor. You know, these guys just start with the motor and they build everything around it. That's really cool. That's a show I'd love to go see, honestly. Yeah, it, it was. I, I remember two years ago. It was, it was. It was a lot of fun. Um, I actually met a couple of people there that we've we've interviewed on the show. Um, like T Tyler Cornelius, one of the artists that was at the the OG show this year as well. Um, he's he's done some artwork for some of our listeners of uh, their their motorcycles. He's actually working on something for me as well right now of the KTM. Uh, ironically enough, right before it goes away forever. Uh, he but, painted us a helmet too. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. And then uh, I can't think of her name right now. Oh, Nicole Androjowskis was was at the one in 2019 before she moved up to wherever she lives. Oh, San, like uh, San Francisco area now. I think she lives. Is she, is she chicken in a biscuit? Yeah. 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 She she painted the of like a phoenix on on my helmet. Uh, she she does like, these absolutely beautiful custom helmets. So I'm, I'm glad the show happened. Um, I wish I could have been there, but I was off having some fun instead. Uh, I, I did my motorcycle ride up and down the coast that I had been talking about the last episode. And uh, it was great. Like a couple of interesting things happened. I haven't I haven't ridden for very long. I definitely haven't ridden for that long in like probably nine years. And it was kind of weird. <laughs> like I, I, the last bike that I rode on a long trip was the Bonneville. And so to have this much more comfy uh, KTM that I wasn't sore at the end of the day every day was kind of amazing. Um, I remember when I rode the Bonneville, I would my, my knees hurt like all day. Basically, uh, they didn't like it wasn't excruciating and it, it basically kind of like settled into like a moderate level of pain. But the whole time I was on the KTM, I, I had no pain of any kind anywhere. Uh, I just felt I felt like kind of weird at the end of the day. And I think it's partially because the bike vibrates a decent amount. Um, and then just you know, like so like kind of sitting like for, you know, five or six hours a day vibrating left me feeling kind of weird and like fuzzy and numb at the end of the day um 
And then also just that whole experience of concentrating so hard for so long on something. Uh, I was having a hard, I would have a hard time thinking like I was kind of sluggish when I was trying to think about other things. Later, I'd be talking to I'd like talking to my friend Ashley on the phone or whatever. And she's like, how was your day? I'm like, uh, I rode stuff. <laughs> the, uh, Chris, Chris, for context, like uh, how many hours and how many miles were you averaging a day? Yeah, sure. So my shortest day was pro- was under 200 miles, like I think 180 or something. My longest day was just over 350 miles. And I was averaging between like four and a half and six hours of actually like moving on the pavement, riding every day. Um, A couple of those, like the longer days, I was on the road for probably seven hours at the most. And that was including like stops for gas or stops to pull over and, uh, you know, change out the liners in my jacket and pants. Because that was one of the things the the first day was mostly freeway because from San Diego up through LA to Santa Barbara. And then on the way back, I did another day that was mostly just going through LA and back home. But that's a lot of riding. Yeah, it was it was about I rode about 1800 miles. And um, it was the craziest part I think about it for me was that even the one day that I got rained on the entire day, I was not unhappy with any of it. Um, There were some moments that I was pretty unhappy. Like, um, so just for context, I didn't I didn't take the absolute fastest route to Eureka, California, but I took a faster, less scenic route um, to go up to up north. And then I turned around and came down the coast as much as I could and took like the most scenic route home. And um, so on the trip up, I wasn't really I took some photos, but I wasn't like thinking about I wasn't focused on enjoying the ride a whole lot. I was just like, okay, the mission is to get there in one piece. That's it, you know, and I did do a couple of fun, super twisty roads and kind of felt like, man, am I on the right bike for these super tight twisties? Like the KTM feels really big right now and kind of heavy right now. And there was one day that I took the bags off because every night I would get to my Airbnb I take all the bags off. I had the two saddlebags full of, you know, clothes and sundries. And then I had the top case I left almost empty because I wanted to be able to throw my helmet in there um, every like if I stopped for food or for gas or just to walk around. Um, so I had my helmet and my some of my camera stuff in there. I mean, my helmet was on my head, but I had some of my camera stuff in the top case. It was almost empty. And then I had a little tail bag, um, a 30 liter Kriga pack that just had like my laptop and just a couple little random odds and ends in it. Um, so where was I going? Why did? Oh, yeah. Wait. Uh, so the bike felt like it didn't feel super heavy when I was on the freeway. I didn't notice anything different from just riding around normally without without luggage or, on, you know, without anything in the luggage. But then when I took everything off to like ride to go get a sandwich or something after my one of my Airbnbs the bike felt like a completely different machine without all the bags on it. I was like, Oh, this thing probably would have been really fun in those twisties. But with all the gear and stuff in it, it was like going around some of the corners. I was just like, Oh man, this is like sluggish and kind of hard. And I was also tired. Do you know how much weight you were carrying? Did you figure it out? No, I would, I, I'm guessing probably about 60 pounds, 70 pounds, maybe. So not a ton, but not nothing either, you know? Um, the bikes are, the bikes about 500 pounds normally. And the, the day that I was thinking about things being sluggish was, uh, a day that I, I hit this like really twisty, curvy Canyon road at the end of the day, I was pretty tired and it was hot. And that was one of the other things. Like I would wake up in the morning and I'd be on the coast or I'd be somewhere like not inland and I, it would be in the fifties. So I'd put on my my jacket and pants with like the liners zipped into it. And I'd have my like colder weather gloves on and all that sort of stuff. And by about noon, I would be somewhere inland and I'd be roasting. So I'd have to pull over and like 
take off my liners and you know i'd find a rest stop and take off the take the pants off so i could take the liners out of the pants and stuff and that happened a couple of times on the way just a few days on the trip where i had to like kind of dress up and dress down you know depending on what weather i was in um but then when i got to eureka um eureka is a really cute town like it um i didn't spend enough time in any of the towns to really like appreciate or see a whole lot but they have a pretty cute like downtown area there's a ton of victorian houses all around eureka so i got some cool photos of those and some of the buildings and then i turned turned around and started heading down the coast and the first day heading south i was riding on this absolutely awful road <laughs> like it was just potholes and like landslides that had taken out half a lane or road construction where it was all like super soft gravelly you know like sandy stuff where i was like terrified i was just gonna fall over in the middle of it um and i'm, I'm literally for the first hour and a half that's what i was doing and i was getting kind of upset with myself like why did i pick this route like i, didn't, I mean obviously i didn't know that that was going to be the case with the road like surface right I was like, what the hell? And then I came around this corner and there's this like small cattle ranch with like set in this little valley and there's the ocean and there's cows, you know, doing cow stuff and whatever. And it just looked was like super picturesque and looked like like out of a painting, you know, and I was just like, holy crap. OK, fine. The shitty roads were worth it. This is really pretty. <laughs> like, this is this is really nice. Um, so I, I got to the end. I got to the bottom of the little valley. And that was right about the time that I was like, man, I need to take this jacket liner off. I'm sweating like a whore in church. And so <laughs> I take I take everything off. And I'm and while I'm doing that, the ranchers are like moving the cows around. And so I took some photos of the cows, uh, you know, like the cattle and like the dogs and the little side by side that they're using. And I, I was really happy with the whole thing. But like there were a couple of moments where I was just like cursing the fact that I trusted the Rever app to tell me that this road was going to be good, you know, whatever, like because, they, you know, I was using the Rever app to do all my planning, which uh, I can get to eventually about my experience with that. It was pretty positive. Um, yeah, because I thought you were you texted me and you said, like, we need to talk about Rever. It's good. Yeah, so. it is. It, I mean, so this particular route or th that particular road, I don't remember the name of it or even what like I could look up what cities it was between or whatever. But. Basically, if you want a very twisty, curvy, uh, scenic route, it's great. But on the KTM, like on a sporty bike, not fun. <laughs> like it was beautiful, but it was rough. Like if I was on an adventure bike with softer, plush, more plush, like suspension or whatever, it would have probably been a little more comfortable. Or it would have definitely been more comfortable. But even then, it probably wouldn't have been super fun. Like I don't know that anybody liked it because it was it was gravel on top of asphalt in a lot of places. Ugh where yeah. so it's like super hard surface that's also skittering around underneath you uh but that was just one day it was not even the whole day i i drove through this like like i said this beautiful scene took photos of it um and then on probably an hour later i was on the like right on the edge of the coast just like in awe of, like the the way the coast looks up there i would not describe some some of it i wouldn't even call beautiful i would call it like intense like the way every like the cliffs hit the water and the like the colors and everything like it's not so much pretty it looks almost scary like it's this sort of like wasteland like desolate uh sort of feeling and the next thing i know i'm in on this road that could have been paved yesterday going through redwood trees just like shitting myself over how beautiful it was and how quiet it was and the way that it smelled like it smelled like a yankee candle company like candle <laughs> everywhere i went <laughs> Um, it was a super fun trip. The The second day coming down the coast, I got rained on the whole day. And I'm still I'm curious if either either of you guys have this experience. 
I've taken trips before and I've gotten rained on before. And in the past, I had rain gloves that were like gauntlet gloves that went on the outside of my jacket and the gloves would get full of water. And I had heard that it was because water was going from the skin of the jacket into the back of the glove and basically filling the glove up with water. So this time I wore the gloves under my jacket and my gloves still filled up with water. But they seem to be waterproof. Like if I dunk, if I put the glove on, and like put my hand in a bucket of water, I don't feel water seeping in from anywhere. So why do my hands get wet? I don't understand. What kind of gloves were they? <laughs> They're Dainese, like Gore-Tex uh, just gloves. I don't know. Yeah, I, I haven't had that problem. My problem I had was I think I was going to have a suit and I was I, I got caught in a monsoon downpour and mm -hmm. um and I, I wasn't, I was wearing riding jeans and the riding jeans just became about, I don't know, 30 pounds heavier because they sucked up all the water from the rain. So that was fun. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, my hands didn't get cold. It's just that my legs were starting to freeze. Yeah. my So crazy thing, my hands weren't cold. Like I, it was probably high 60s, very low 70s for that whole day. And technically all of my gear was waterproof. And so what I ended up with was hands that were soaked, like, like if I if I held my hand up, you could see the water run out the back of the gloves, especially if I like made a fist. It was like I was squeezing a sponge. That's like I've never had that happen. Yeah. I, and I've had it twice now, like and different gloves, different riding suits. But um, these are both. What, what, wait, 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 wait. What riding suit were you in again for this? So I was in a uh, it's got a weird name and I don't remember exactly what it is, but it's a Dainese uh, like touring, like waterproof suit that. It's one of those ones that has about 15 layers on the outside of it before there's any Gore-Tex. So it's got a sponge on the outside of you that gains about 30 pounds. <laughs> and was it over the was the was the gauntlet over the jacket? You said this, so I didn't pick it up. Right, so. right. Yeah. So this time the gauntlet was under the jacket. This never should have happened. I agree with you. I have no clue how it and, and at first I was like, I thought that it was just because I had I stopped to take some photos because I was like, I'm already I'm already in the rain. I don't care. My camera's weather sealed. It'll be fine. So like I was happily taking photos, you know, not just like gritting through and riding through the day. Like I got off the bike, took photos. And I thought the first time my hands weren't wet yet. I thought that it was because I took my gloves off and then uh, took photos. But my gloves were like in my top case staying dry and it wasn't heavy rain. So I'm taking photos and then I go put and I put my slightly wet hands back in my gloves. And I was like, oh, well, I mean, my hands are kind of wet now. But it was like they were full of water, you know, like the, by the end of the day, the gloves, my hands looked like I had been in a bathtub all day because I had my Yeah, that heated, doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I had my heated grips on. So I had like very warm, wet hands <laughs> like the whole day. <laughs> Uh, I stopped taking my hands off my gloves off to take pictures. I just like was using the gloves with the camera on. And it was it was fine. It was not. I'm not complaining about that. Like it wasn't a bad experience. It was, no, was but confused. we yeah we spend all this like, money. Sounds like jungle rot of the hand. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We spend all this money for Gore-Tex for a reason. Right. So that's why I was kind of confused. Like water has to have been leaking. What I, I was I've been sort of speculating that. Um, water was probably leaking somewhere inside the arms of my jacket because um, basically my forearms were wet. It wasn't just my hands. Like my forearms were wet when I ended the ride. And then I had a spot where water must have been getting between my jacket and my pants. And it basically looked like I wet myself. But then also from like my belly, basically from my belly button to my crotch was like damp. And so I'm water had to have been getting in like a gap between where my jacket and pants, you know, meet each other somehow. And then also somehow getting in my like sleeves 
but I wasn't cold. Uh, I was just a little bit damp in a couple places. It was I had very little to complain about. Um, the funny thing was I forgot that. So there, there's all those little metal cattle guard things on the road, you know, that, to keep the cows from going from one part of the range to the other or whatever. And I made the mistake of going over one of those. It was in the middle of a turn. I made the mistake of going over one of those not completely vertical. And my whole bike decided, you know, it was raining. So my whole bike skipped to the left several feet as I crossed it. And just I almost needed to change my shorts after that because I was so scared. I was like, ah, <laughs> I thought I was going to die. Um, thankfully, yeah, that's not fun. Yeah. Thankfully, I like the bike held traction before and like, you know, on the pavement before and after the little cattle guard. So it was only when the wheels are on the cattle guard that the bike decided it needed to really be over there. Um, and then I remember funny, every time I've ever went over a cattle guard, it's never been a problem. But I always got scared to death. Is, I don't know if they do this out in California or not, but when they're working on um, <laughs> people are just yelling around. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to like, so it's these, they put these metal plates on when they're working on the road, right? Oh, yeah, those big steel plates. Oh, yeah, I about get it out on one of those one time. Yeah, Luckily, I, I crossed one of those yeah. at some point during the trip, and that was fine. I was I was vertical for that, and every cattle guard after that, I made a point to be perfectly upright. But I just completely forgot, and I was so focused on other stuff, and this thing was just like in the middle of a turn, and I just went over it. And next thing I know, I was like, okay, yep, yep, don't don't do that again. <laughs> nice butt pucker move. Yes, yes, I like tried to suck the whole seat. Up into my ass. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, it was a beautiful trip. I'm trying to think of what, like, the highlights, I think, were probably up in the, the co- on the coast north of San Francisco. Like, yes, I, I, I did the other stuff on the one through, like, Big Sur and stuff. And that was all very beautiful. But it didn't feel, it had a, it had a totally different feeling. Um, one of the, like one of the main attractions is a Bixby bridge. And I, I didn't even stop and take a picture. <laughs> there was, there were so many people there because I didn't, I didn't think about it. I'm, I probably never would have thought about it. The day that I was going through this area was on Sunday. So it was like a weekend. And so people were out doing weekend stuff. So, you know, there were motorcyclists out riding around Big Sur. There were, uh, there were, you know, other tourists and stuff out just driving around the coast. And so, the Bixby Bridge was like there wasn't like a line like I could have pulled over and gotten a photo of it. But I mean, if you want to look up, if you want a picture of Bixby Bridge, like you can find a million pictures of Bixby Bridge. And my picture of Bixby Bridge isn't going to be any better than anyone else's. Like there's I so I was like, whatever, I, I, I did the thing. I saw it. I, I rode the part of the coast I wanted to ride. I don't need a picture of this one special bridge. It's Tell me what like, that bridge you know, is. I don't know what it is. It's kind of like going to a museum. You know, I was in France and we were we were in these museums seeing these great masterpieces of you know art, and everyone's shoving their iPhone up there trying to take a you know a photograph of you know anything from the Mona Lisa to some impressionist painting. And you're just like, you know, you can get that online. Yeah, that's how I felt. Um, <laughs> you're supposed to experience it with your eyes. That's the whole point. Right. Yeah. That's that's how I felt about this bridge. So, Steve, the bridge is. It's this very pretty, like concrete, like arched bridge over a creek at like the north end of Big Sur. I, yeah. I think it's the north end. It, anyway, it's in the Big Sur area, and so, yeah, it's it's 
the way the road curves to it, it allows you to get a very good view of the bridge from the side before you cross over it or after you've just crossed over it, depending on which direction you're coming from. Um, and so it's this, I mean, it is seriously in probably about 25% of the dating profiles I've seen. It's like, it, it's just like this super popular spot for people to stop and take photos. <laughs> um, it's like the... It's like the proof that you went and did, you know, that you went to Big Sur or whatever is this photo of uh, Bixby Bridge. So, Interesting. yeah, instead, several hours later, oh, not several, a couple hours later, I took some photos of the beach almost. I mean, like literally standing in exactly the spot that I peed on the side of the road. <laughs> did, did you get a did you get a selfie in front of Bixby Bridge for your grinder profile? I did not. No, um, I figure like they, they they don't need to know that I went there. <laughs> I think you should have got a picture of you peeing. That would have been like over the shoulder looking down, you know, catching it midstream. That, that would have been good. So the I posted a few photos to my photography Instagram of these like bees, um, and they're like on some flowers. Which they're from they're on a fennel plant. Not that that matters, but they're on these flowers and the the background is very blurry, but it's the it's the, the beach like at the south end of Big Sur. And the area was just very picturesque. I only stopped because I really needed to pee. I couldn't wait another minute. And so I pulled over and I walked like off the edge of the road a little bit, like kind of down the hills cliff side a little bit so that I wasn't standing in full view of the road. And I'm going pee. And then I realized there's like five or ten bees like flying around my face. And I had this moment where I'm like, man, I'm glad I'm not afraid of bees because I'm literally standing here peeing and there's bees like in my face. Um, so when I was done, I had my camera on a little clip connected to my camelback strap. And so I just put everything away and pulled out my camera and took took some like really close up shots of these bees like crawling around on these flowers. And um, I really like how they turned out. I like the, the colors in the photos a lot. It's just a silly place to have found a spot to take photos, I think. You know, Chris, you know, we were talking about you left uh, on your trip. You were talking about getting a tank bag so that you could. Oh, yeah, yeah. You and I were texting about it right before yeah. I left. Um, so I I'm an idiot. We all know this. I think I didn't plan very well. I mean, I planned parts of this trip very well. But then I thought about I have I had a tank bag, but it was a magnetic tank tank bag. And the KTM's tank is plastic. So like three days before I was supposed to leave on the trip, I was like, wait a minute, that tank bag isn't going to work. I guess I need to find one. And so I went and I looked for one and I couldn't find any basically, you know, supply chain stuff and just people not stocking tank bags, really. Um, I didn't find anything even going up to the day that I left. I went to the KTM dealer that's in my town and they had a tank bag that is the exact one that I need, but it was, they had the little ring for the, it was one of those ones that clips to the gas cap, like ring area. Right. Is that SW Motec makes it for them? Um, this particular one is a KTM branded one. I don't know who makes it, but probably is probably. Yeah. I mean, SW Motec makes the crash bars for the KTM as well, but it was, it had the ring for a, it was not the right ring. Like it's the right tank bag, but they didn't have the ring for, they had the ring for like a 790, not the 1290 gas cap. And so at the last minute, I was just like, well, this was the last minute. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm just not going to go with a tank bag. And I, I ended up being like 99% happy with that anyway. Um, having my, uh, my camera on my camel back, it was just sitting on my chest pretty much the whole day. I never noticed it. The only the only time I noticed it was when I would like if I wanted to lean forward and get out of the wind, like really hide behind the windshield. 
I could feel it like set on the tank. Like it would like rest on the tank. And that was the only time I'd ever noticed that there was a camera there. I had. I, my, I saw that. Yeah. That makes me nervous as hell, man. The, the way that, that, that's a lot of camera. I mean, we have the same camera and yeah. it, it just scares the crap out of me. Where it's just like perched on that clip. I did lose my lens hood on the second to last day, um, but I was going about 100 miles an hour. So, you know, so you deserved it. Yeah, I, I had it coming. The the lens hood, I think because the lens hood on that lens has like a little button to release it. And I think that while it was like kind of jostling around on my chest, it had like gotten bumped and then it just kind of came loose and the wind caught it. And I felt it leave like I felt something like bounce off my lap. And I reached up and was like, OK, camera's still there. What's not still there? And I looked, I looked down. I couldn't immediately see anything. And then I like kind of felt the camera I'm like, oh, yeah, lens hood's gone. OK, well, <laughs> it's my own fault. If I'm, if I'm riding with my camera, I'll usually have um, I usually use Sam's rig, you know, bend mm -hmm. all the rules and um, I'll I'll have that and I'll just unzip it under my, you know, unzip my jacket, be able to pull it out. And then I can just drop it and zip up the jacket and keep on riding. Yeah, I had thought about I, that, too. What is that called? Um, he has a Sam has our friend Sam has this uh, Sam Bendall, uh, who's been on the show before, has this company called Damn Fine Goods that okay. he makes this. Uh, it's like a little sling. So if you think of like a shoulder holster for a pistol, it you know right. goes over both your shoulders and then your camera hangs from a lanyard under your right or left arm, depending on if you're right or left handed or whatever. Um, but it hangs down at like it's adjustable. So you get it like about hip height and then right. you can just like grab it and extremely secure. And, you know. I've traveled with it internationally, you know, put it on my jacket. That way I knew no one can steal my camera and I have it like, you know, there at the ready. Out a shot. Yeah. I've tried peak designs, you know, that holster that they have that fits on your chest for the camera. Yeah. And then it, it, I didn't like that at all. And then, um, you know, I see for me, it's the looking for the proper way to carry the camera is also the, the search for the right tank bag. It's like the, the golden chalice, you know, it, it's like me trying to find the right pillow for God's sake. Yeah. But it, and I think the next tank bag I'm going to try is going to be the giant Luke Diablo because it, it looks like it might work to carry enough stuff. In yeah. It, you know, it's just a pain in the ass finding something that's going to work right. It, you know, when you're a big guy and you got a lot of front end in you, it's hard to <laughs> use something that's got a, uh, a strap on it like that, the whole um, think tank thing, that holster is just too much out front. I'm too nervous about doing the peak design clip that you have. <laughs> I mean, I, I had great luck with mine um the only the only thing i really kind of wanted would have liked to have had a tank bag for is keeping my other lens because I, I brought two lenses with me and keeping my other lens in the tank bag right in front of me would have been nice a couple of times because i would have maybe not had to like get off the bike and get it out of my uh my trunk in the, the top case but it, it really didn't slow me down much at all um but yeah, the little the little peak designs clip that I have that just mounts to like that base plate that goes on the bottom of the camera. It was super secure. Um, I, I never had any issues with it. The, the, the only sticky part was I at one point like bumped the little lever over that locks it and then couldn't get my camera out for a second. But yeah, it was it was great. Uh, I'm a coward. Are Chris, are you going to come up for the next uh, Moto Social? I will be traveling again for work. Mm, I, I was talking to Sam about when that was going to be, and I really want to come, but I will, I, I'll be honest. I kind of had a mental breakdown right at the end of my trip. I, uh, I found out, so we had this work trip to Japan for two weeks and then Hawaii for a week, which sounds nice, but we're not really gonna be able to leave the base 
at least not in Japan. Um, but um, we had this work trip planned and they kept telling us that it was going to get canceled. And then I found out like two days before I got back that it's not canceled. And it's also like the same month that I'm going to be selling my house and like trying to get all this stuff done for my move. And I just kind of was I just panicked. I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't have like I suddenly went from having like almost all of next month to having one week of next month. And I was just but yeah, I'd love to come. I'd love to not be traveling next month. But <laughs> instead, I'm, I'm I will try to use the trip to Japan to basically milk the guys that work out there already for as much information about the move process as possible so that I'm like fully as 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 prepared as I can be. Um, and then also I want to try to get some like recon done for where I'm going to live out there. But for those who don't know what Moto Social is, it's a, it's kind of a, um, it's popping up and mushrooming in different cities. It started in Toronto and it's like a monthly meetup to try to help reestablish motorcycle community and doesn't really appear to have an agenda more than just trying to gather people from all different motorcycle genres into one place. Yeah. And they're doing them all over the world. Like they keep posting them and like, Oh, here's the one in Dubai. Here's one in London. Here's LA. Here's Albuquerque. Um, Yeah. And I like that the emphasis is on finding a place that's not a bar to get together and like hang out and chat and whatever, Um, which I think that's always a plus. Yeah. Everything's usually at a bar. Yeah, like bars are great and all, but like, I don't know. Do we really want to promote drinking and riding? Eh, probably not. No, I mean, it, and it it always ends up that way, right? Yeah. Like everybody always right. ends up getting a few drinks and then you feel weird about letting your friend take off on a motorcycle after you've had a few drinks. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, that's that's pretty much the wrap up of my trip and my, you know, last minute mental breakdown. Well, let's, why don't you talk about Rever real quick? Because I, yeah. I was really curious yeah, as point. to what happened there. So Rever, you and I have been have had knowledge of the Rever app, which was, you know, developed by the guys at Butler Maps, um, basically since the very beginning of the company and of the app. And they have come a really long way in terms of being able to plan a route on your phone or on the computer and then save that route and get your get turn by turn directions for it or just have like a track that appears on your screen that you follow along if you don't want the actual turn by turn. Um, And I didn't I didn't put in when I planned my route, I didn't put in like the address of the Airbnb that I was going to stay at as the start point or the end point anytime. I just like picked the general like vicinity of where I was going to be. And so, you know, I was always starting not at the actual start point of the route for the day. And it has this super easy feature, for example, where like if you want to just like skip the waypoint that it's giving you to navigate to, like, let's say my start point is my actual route start point is like 20 minutes in the wrong direction from where I'm actually going for the day. Um, You can just go like start the ride and then there's like a little fast forward button. You click the fast forward button. It goes, do you want to skip to the next waypoint? Like, yep. And it just says, "Okay, cool. And then it navigates you to your next waypoint from where you actually are um it was super convenient to use the only downsides are it doesn't have traffic information so it's guesstimates on how long it's going to take you to get to a place might not be accurate um depending on whether you're going to be dealing with traffic or not and most of the time i wasn't so it didn't matter and i also wasn't super concerned with the time it was going to take me to get to a place i wasn't using it to like commute and find the fastest way to work you know um the I the only I did have some issues with it on the day that I was getting rained on, and I don't know. I had a, I had a couple issues throughout the trip that where it was like glitched, but it was like uh, it kept trying to navigate me to a waypoint that I had passed like an hour ago, and so I would like I had to, I basically just had to force close the app and open it back up again, and it was fine. 
Um, and then I think that my phone was just having a hard time in the rain where it would think it was thinking that I would touch the screen when I wasn't. And so it kept making the app like do things when I was like, no, stop it. You know, or, or like the app would close out of the navigation because it thought I touched the close button or something in the rain, but I didn't. And but other than that, it worked really well. And their interface on <clears throat> their interface on the on the web was really great. I was able to just like basically drop it was like using google maps to just you could grab you tell it where you want to start you tell it where you want to end and you can just like grab the the line that it creates on the map and drag it to the roads you want it to be on and it just goes okay cool and it adds waypoints wherever you like let go of your mouse so it created the route exactly the way i wanted it um they have a they have a feature called twisty roads navigation where it like uses an algorithm to try to intentionally move you towards twistier roads and i did not use that I, I would I turned it on just to see what route it was going to give me. And it, it takes twisty roads to an extreme. So if you if you basically want to ride the tail of the dragon everywhere you go, you could turn this feature on and you would just be doing turn after turn after turn after turn. <laughs> um, but it, I, I think that would make more sense for like shorter stretches or if you know, like if if you really don't care about like getting anywhere in a particular time. Um, and you just want to go on a fun ride. That seems like it would be a cool feature. But for me, like I wanted to be on specific roads. So I, you know, used a different route processing thing. But I do like that they added that feature. It's a pretty new feature they've added. Um, and yeah, honestly, I think that the skip waypoint thing was probably the most handy little addition that they've made to the navigation since I first started using the app. Um, did, it, did it take you on diversions? Like, you know, when you're going through Ventura, did it take you up like the like the 33 past Wheeler Springs and all that? Or um, so I that road sounds familiar. I I think I planned that road in. So one of the other things you can if you have like the rever, you can turn on different layers, basically, that show like you can see the Butler maps like recommended, like the orange, yet red and yellow roads for the area. And so when I was planning my route, I saw a couple of those spots that are like recommended routes and made a point to like put a waypoint in those so that it would send me through them. I did encounter one road that was closed because of the national forest in that area is closed. And so they had actually closed the road that went through it too. Uh, that was just north of Santa Barbara, but I don't remember the road, but it was fun. I mean, I, I basically rode up a very fun mountain road to a stop sign and then turned around and rode down a very fun mountain road. So it was fine. No problems. Um, got me to my destination like an hour earlier than I thought I would. They, they really, they're even moving more in the direction of auto use too. Mm. Like the maps now I've noticed that they had, I want to say it was like a Jeep road or something that they were calling out, Okay, you know, which uh, yeah, I, I think they're going to be a, a big contender eventually and like against Gaia, you know, if they start adding layers to it, which they kind of already have with yeah. the Butler map roads, but yeah, I like it a lot. I I had this moment where I was like, okay, I need to plan this trip. And I don't use Rever 99% of the time. And so I was like, what, what am I going to use? How, you know, how am I going to plan this trip? And then I remember, I was like, oh, yeah, I have that Rever app. Let me go check it out again. And it, it had probably been a year or two since I had used the app. And like I said, I was super impressed with how how easy everything was um, and how, how they have it laid out. The only, yeah, I think if they had, if they had any kind of like real-time traffic or like, you know, route uh like detoury kind of thing the way like you know if you're using apple maps or google maps now if it finds a like if there's an accident and it's going to take you an extra hour on the route you have planned and it'll like it'll make a suggestion like hey there's this faster route available um like that kind of stuff i'm i'm sure they'll get to adding that eventually but like that kind of stuff would be really cool 
if you weren't riding a very specifically planned route like I was doing. Um, but as far as planning routes, I don't you I don't think you can make those kind of customized routes easily on G on Google Maps anymore. Um, at least they're hard to save and they're they're hard to like they're hard to you can't just like do it on your computer where you have like a big screen and a lot more granular control with like your mouse or whatever. You can't just like do it on the computer and then like save it super easily and just send it to your phone the way you can with Rever. Um, and so that was like I was I really appreciated being able to do that. The, the planning aspect for, you know, planning the exact trip I wanted to take. Uh, and they're getting straight. And they're getting a lot better with that, mm-hmm. too. Every time they make an improvement in the using the, the planning app makes it better and better. Yeah. Well, you know, one last thing, Don, you meant you sent me photos of taking a tour of Arch motorcycles as well. I was I was looking at some stuff. Um, so how was that? That was fantastic. A buddy of ours, Craig Marlowe at Kickstart Garage, he uh, he arranged a tour. I guess he he knew Gard Hollinger and um, he's one of the, the partners at Arch. And yeah, so um, for anybody that doesn't know, Arch is Keanu Reeves and Gard, they're kind of you know joint venture motorcycle company yeah and if anybody follows ryan boyd he's like their wizard machinist as well um but yeah we got to tour their facility and it's it's really interesting it's in a completely nondescript building in hawthorne about a block from spacex and uh has no signage or anything like that because as, as guard said if if uh if people knew where it was, they, you know, you'd have a bunch of people camping out looking for Keanu when he, you know, shows up. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, guard was really generous. He gave us like two and a half hours of his time, showed us soup to nuts, you know, in terms of the history of, of arch and, um, all of their, you know, design and research and development areas and everything. It was, it was pretty awesome. I mean, we couldn't take photos of some of the areas, sure. um, but, um, it's, it's just amazing. I mean, I'm not really a V-twin cruiser guy, um, mm-hmm. but they have some models that are definitely more sport bike oriented. Perform that all their stuff is performance oriented, and all of their stuff is is manufactured at such a high level. With you know, it's all billet um, carbon fiber pieces, um, things that are made just for them by say like BST, which makes wheels and carbon yeah. fiber parts, um, and they manufacture in house there, and it's uh, it's pretty amazing. I mean, it's it the the assembly area is like a, it's as clean as like a surgery room. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's, I think it's the only manufacturer that I've heard where they actually make a gas tank out of billet aluminum. Hmm. That's interesting. How do you do that? They manufacture it in like three different pieces and then weld it together. Okay. And they, you know, and, and, and they probably start off, I think with about 120 pounds of billet aluminum to end up with a gas tank. Um, and seems excessive, you know, you know, I remember making jokes about it when I heard about it, but guard actually explained, um, that if they were to get, you know, uh, the tooling for hydraulic press to make stamp out gas tanks, it would cost about $250,000 and they don't make that many gas tanks. So the fact that they machine, you know, however many gas tanks a year to make these motorcycles, about 24 motorcycles a year, this last year, um, because of the pandemic, um, that it's it's less expensive to just machine them out of bill aluminum. Hmm, yeah. are, are these like fifty thousand dollar price range for uh, the bike? Eighty thousand and above. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's it's a very high end bike, and if you look on their website and you look at photographs, you kind of go, yeah, I just don't understand where the eighty thousand dollars is. But when you see the bike with your own eyeballs, you actually do. You can see that everything is 
is just manufactured at such a high level. Um, it's, it has the best materials. You know, they they have their own wheel design that BST makes for them. And, you know, they're having swing arms made by BST and parts of the frames um, are carbon fiber on their new bikes. So, um, yeah, and everything is the tolerances are just super tight. Um, you know, this isn't, it isn't like a Harley Davidson where it's just going to shake and rattle and roll, even though it's powered by, you know, an SS and SV twin. Nice. I'm sure, I'm sure they go through the motors too. Right. Um, the, I think most of the motors are, are manufactured by, I think S and S specifically for them to their specification. Right. Nice. Yeah. So what's, so Don, you've got coming up on the calendar is the moto social in a few weeks. Yeah, the Moto Social is every second Wednesday um, in L.A. and every last Wednesday in Orange County. So next week, the 29th, depending on when the show comes out, yeah. um, uh, it'll be in the 29th in Dana Point. Um, the location for October 13th in L.A. has not been announced yet, but um, our friend Sam um, and a couple others um, Mickey Suda and, uh, and Dakota. Um, I think you've met Dakota. I have met DPR. Dakota. Yeah. Um, they've been, and also Anthony, my, uh, Anthony Brower. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially it's, it's sort of like the LA distinguished children's ride team. That's, that's yeah. been taking care of the, um, the LA branch of the moto social. And so, uh, it's been super successful. You came to one of the events. They probably had somewhere between, you know, 150 or so uh, people attending to more. Yeah. That was, um, it was a fun time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a great gathering. It's like everyone from um, people that are maybe just a little bit interested in motorcycles to, you know, they had moto journalists there. So um, yeah. it's a really interesting crowd. Yeah. I, um, uh, Ari yeah. Henning was there. If anybody, you know, watches Ari and Zach. Yeah. Yeah. Zach Quartz yeah. and Ari Henning were both there. Um, if you, you know, so it was like basically, the guys from uh, Iconic were there too. Um, yeah. Bobby was there. Um, um, yeah. So I'm trying to remember the, the it's I'm trying to find the Instagram for the general moto social. one. is it the, the moto social? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So Instagram is the moto social. They they're the ones that are kind of like posting out information on where you can find all of the moto social events that may be may or may not be right next door to you. Uh, and Don switches hats for like the fourth time to a moto social hat. Um, I'm actually wearing two hats right now at the same, same time. time. Why? Yeah. So I had to go buy beach hats and oh, nice. I'm wearing mine and Marcy's on my head at the mm. same time. So. And I have and then, no hats. So yeah, I'd say in addition to the moto social, um, bike shed's going to be opening in, in probably another month or so. Um, cool. That's going to be, uh, the bike shed in downtown LA. Um, it's second location, you know, uh, from its maiden location in, in London. Yep. Um, it'll be premier motorcycle centric, um, event facility, um, 30,000 square feet. Is the, um, bike, 10, shed, 000, the yeah. bike shed Charlie's venture, right? Charlie Borman. Um, Charlie Borman is a member and I think he is an investor as well. Um, oh, well, that's a, that's a hat there, Steve. Um, oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Those of you not, the, no, nobody's getting video of this, and um, you're all lucky, I think. <laughs> Steve looks like the quintessential Florida man, um, but he he's talking, but he's muted, which is even better. My seven dollar public hat from the grocery store. So. I like it. That is that is a hideous hat. So yeah, um, 
Dutch Van Samaran and his wife Vicky. Um, they are the the founders of the bike shed. Okay, um, and they're they're opening their their newest location in in Los Angeles. It's in the Arts District, about a few blocks from where the House of Machines used to be. Okay, cool. Um, and it's going to have about ten thousand square feet of exhibit space for any type of motorcycle or motor uh, sports related uh, exhibits, art exhibits, events, and then has its own restaurant, really nice bar, um, tattoo and haircut areas. And how hipster can we possibly be? (laughs) (laughs) Well, they want to bring in just not just the motorcyclist, but the person who is in the motorcycle lifestyle, I think. Yeah. Like Um, motorsports adjacent people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really beautiful. It's sort of, you know, industrial with polished, uh, you know, like Chesterfield leather sofas and just okay. has a really cool look to it. I've been to it. It's um, they're finishing it up. They're starting a higher staff. So the fact that they're hiring staff kind of tells you that they're probably getting close. So yeah, um, maybe uh, November. I know uh, Vicky and Dutch are actually coming back to LA from London next week. Um, so I think that's a signal that things are getting close. Um, and I'm a member in LA. They, it, it's not a, they have kind of like two aspects. It's a, it's a public place, but they do have like a member area okay. um, where they have, and, and that really just entitles you to like lots of cool member events where, you know, space might be limited. Um, you know, members will get, you know, a ticket or, you know, admission to anything. Um, but really cool place. Um, let's see. Another thing is classic track days coming up in November. Brady yep. Walker, our good November buddy been on, on the show. Yeah. Yep. 28th of November, they're going to call it the Turkey Trectacular at Willow Springs. Um, and we really want Chris to, to show up if he can swing it. Yeah, I might uh, have to bounce even bring him a bike and leathers and everything. Thanksgiving with my family a day early and uh, come back. Yeah. And for those who haven't done a classic track day, I think it's it's a great place for people who want to give track riding a try. Um, in a non-intimidating um, environment, they separate it into at least three classes. So you can, you can jump in and do the, you know, the group three or C class, which is like the more novice class. And um, people like uh, Heath at Alpine stars will actually take you out on the track and show you the lines and, nice. and uh, you know, and give you lots of safety tips so that you're safe. And um, it's just a really safe, fun event. It's really well run by Brady. Um, You know, Brady produces shows like the Californian, but Brady's been doing these track days um, and they're really successful. He's um, has a great following and great attendance at these, these events. And uh, um, you know, you don't have to come in full bore, you know, with all your gear, you can get loaner gear from Alpine stars. So you can just basically show up with your helmet and Keith will get you a suit and gloves and, and boots and, uh, and you can do a track day. Nice. Um, quick question. Can I wear my brand new Aerostitch cult, uh, road crafter suit? <laughs> well, you could, if you do what the, what's called taste of the track is at lunchtime, Brady serves lunch and he allows people who have never been out on the track to do a couple of maybe like kind of slower laps around the track. Yeah. And you can wear street riding gear in that. Otherwise, okay. you know, you, you need to wear um, leathers, either a, a one or two piece leathers suit. Cool. I actually haven't ridden in that suit yet. I, it arrived like a couple of days ago and I think it'll stand on its own. It is so stiff. <laughs> Listen, Aerostitch used to, and I don't know if they still do this, but they used to claim that there were some tracks across America that it was the only riding suit that was allowed to be used on the track in place of leather. 
Yeah, I know that there are some places that'll let you ride in a road crafter instead of leathers, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I think for for liability solid, purposes, uh, you know, you know, for for Brady to probably have his insurance and whatnot, he's got to, you know, a, a they have to they have to tech all the motorcycles, and they have to, uh, you know, you have to be wearing uh, either a, a DOT or otherwise certified helmet that's within date, and, you know, and and uh, a, a one piece or two piece leathers. Nice. Cool. Well, um, I think that's going to wrap up the show for the day. Uh, thanks, Don, for coming on, Steve. That's a great, awful hat. Um, love it. I wish everybody could see it. Listen, it's a Vietnam era hat. Jungle hat. <laughs> matches my gray shirt and my gray shoes. It's like it's yeah, like I'm an on urban, the beach. It's like an urban aren't. camo, like an urban camo beach hat. I like it. Um, exactly. I'd like to thank everybody that supports the show on Patreon, patreon.com slash two wheel studios. Um, you guys are the best, and I love talking to you guys in Slack. And you guys are like it's so much good advice, so many good ideas about stuff in there. So if you're not if you're not on there, you should go like give us a dollar and get into the Slack. Um, Don, thanks for coming on. Thanks for talking about all the cool LA area motorcycle stuff. Without further ado, get out and ride. <laughs>